Shalom Aleichem, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. It's a pleasure to be back. Last week we were off. I want to give a special welcome to my father who's here. And as always, a big shout out to Ari for taking care of the food. We really appreciate it. Special welcome to Dovi Hartman who's here. And Dovi said that tonight, for the first time, not only is he here by the shear, but he's actually going to stay for the entire shear. So thank you, Dovi. Special pleasure to welcome our friend uh, Chaim Yehuda Meyer who's here, our friend Shlaimalel drove, biked in all the way from Ditmas Park, and of course all our regulars who are here, my friend Shmuley Steiner was able to make it tonight, and everybody else, very much appreciated, and of course thank you anybody listening on the podcast, very much appreciated as well. We're up to Parshas Yisrael, the Parsha of Kabbalah Satayra, and it's brought down on this farm. We said this over many times, we shame the regioner, that we know when the Yomtev comes around, we always read the Parshiyas that talk about that Yomtev. So, the Moshal on Pesach, we're going to read Parshas Emar, which talks about Pesach because the day is Ma'ira of the Kriya. Being that it's a day of Pesach, a Yomtev of Pesach, we read about Pesach. Says the regioner, the same way, the Kriya is Ma'ira of the day. So anytime, or anything that we read about on a regular week, on a Shabbos, in the Torah, that Kriya is Ma'ayrer, the Hashpais of that unique event that happened. For example, a very interesting episode, or halacha that's brought down. This is actually brought down from the Magen of Rome. There used to be a minute that on Friday, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas, people would fast. Because it was on that day that in France, in the uh, 12th or 13th century, they burnt the Talmud. They burnt the Gemara in France. They banned it. And they collected all the Gemaras they could get their hand on. And they burnt it publicly. And the time the Baliyataisvists were alive at the time, and it was a terrible decree, obviously, because that was before the printing was available. So they did a Shailas Chaloim. Why did... The Ebeshter punished Kla Yisrael in such a way. And it came back, Zois Chukas Atayra. And the Targum says on that, Da Gezeiras Eiraisa. This is a Gezeira of the Rebbeinah Shalalem. Yeah, so they understood. They understood that this is a Gezeira. And being that that happened on Parshas Chukas, that they established, even though normally any fast day is going to go by the day of the month not by the day of the week, but being that they got this answer from Shemayim, Dog Zerah had to do directly with the week of Parshas Chukas, so that day, Friday of Parshas Chukas, was established as a fast day for Klal Yisrael. Very interesting for the Mugen Avram, but it ties in directly to this idea of the Rishoner, that anytime we lane something, it has a Shpa directly on the events of the week. I Mimela, as we read about, the Inyonim of Matan Torah. We have the Ashpais of Matan Torah as well that come down to us up until this very day. I saw, first of all, starting off, speaking about Matan Torah, a beautiful thought from Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. He brings down two psukim in next week's Parsha Mishpatim. When the Abishta tells Klayisol about the Torah that they're going to be given, so what does Klayisol say? As one voice, everybody answered, 
At the end of Parshish Mishpatim, there's an extra additional um, details from Kabbalah Satayra that, that aren't mentioned in this week's Parsha in Yisroi. And there it says that the nation said in one voice, whatever Hashem did, Naaseh, we're just going to do. And a few psukim later, the famous words, Vayikach Sefer Abris Vayikabos Neyam Vayoimru, of course, we're all familiar with Nasev and Ishma. But says Rabbi Sachs, there's a difference in the two psukim. The first time around, it says they said it in one voice. But the second time, when they said Nasev and Ishma, they didn't say it in one voice. What's the difference? Because, as he explains, when it comes to Nasa, following the mitzvahs of the Torah, we accepted it in one voice. We all agreed that we are going to keep all the mitzvahs. And that is something that we keep until this very day. But when it comes to the nishma, as far as hearing it, which as he explains, refers to the unique way each individual in Klai Yisrael, the way he hears the mitzvah, the way he fulfills it, that wasn't said in one voice. Because the way we do a mitzvah, even though we do the same act, but the feelings that come with it, the thoughts, everybody's different. Everybody has their own unique way of approaching the mitzvahs that the Rebbeinah Shalom gave us. And the Torah is telling us that this too was an integral part of how we accepted the Torah. We accepted it in this way. Of course, we're going to do everything, as you say, as it's mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch. But how we do it, the feelings that we put into it, everyone's going to do it in the way that speaks to their heart. And Baruch Hashem, you know, here in this shul, in this Chabura, you know, we know we do things maybe a little bit different than some other places do it. But that's because we have a special feeling to do it in our own way, through singing, through dancing, through simcha. And that's a wonderful thing. In other places, they do things in a more serious way, in a more solemn way, and that's also beautiful. But we see here that the Torah is already telling us that this is how it was from the beginning. That Kalal Yisrael, when they said, Nasev and Ishmael, wasn't Koylecha, because everybody hears it in his own way. No two people shake, shake the Eserg and the Lulav in the same way. Some people do it with Kavonas, with, with Yehudim. Some people do it with singing and dancing. And some people just do it to fulfill the mitzvah at its basic level. And everything is wonderful and everything is appreciated by the Eibishter. So that's just an Agdama. Beautiful thought from Rabbi Sachs. It says in, uh, I think it was a The Pasuk tells us here, when the Eibishter approaches Maishu Rabbeinu to introduce him to the thought of Klal Yisrael <coughs> accepting the Torah. He says, Ve'ata, im shamaya tishmu bekoili, that I want you to be my nation to keep my Torah and then you're going to be my Am Segula Segula is like a gem a precious gem the Ebeshter says you're going to be from all the nations of the world even though every single human being is created and the Ebeshter appreciates and he <coughs> loves every single person that he created, nonetheless Klal Yisrael is going to be beloved the most of all you're going to be my precious gem and then the Ebeshter continues I want you to be a nation of Kohanim and a Goy Kodesh a unique nation of Kedusha what is the definition, what is the understanding of a Goy Kodesh of Mamleches Kohanim so the Sforno explains that originally, when the Abishta gave us the Torah, he had something in mind, and that is that Klal Yisrael, so to speak, is going to be the teacher of the entire world. 
Just like a Kayan is the teacher of Klai Yisrael, every single individual was going to be, a, so to speak, a Kayan Gadol, who was going to be the one to teach the Abishta's words to the entire world. All the nations of the world were going to look up to us and learn from us how to connect to the Rebbeinah Shalolim, how to live a life of Kiddush Hashem. And that was the original mission. So much so, that is brought down in the Sarm, that at the beginning of Matan Torah, it was 40, the 40 days that Maishu Rabbeinu was up for the first time, Claudius was on the level of Adam Arisha and Kaidem Achet. A level where there was no Yetzirah, a level where had they kept, kept at that level, there would have been no more death in the world, and the world would have been a perfect world, where we, Klal Yisrael, as we said, every individual would be like a Kayan Gadol, and the entire world would come to us to learn about the greatness of the Rebbeinu Shalalem, and how to serve him. Unfortunately, what happened was, there was the Chaito Eagle. And when that happened, Klal Yisrael fell from that tremendous Madrega, and everything kind of unfolded in a different way than it had meant to be originally. And that great level of Adam Arish and was delayed, it was pushed off for the Ahres Hayamim, for Lassad Lavai, for after the coming of Mashiach, when the world is going to reach a state of perfection. And that's when the Psukim tell us, all the world is going to come and learn from us. And now though, now it's pretty much just us, Klal Yisrael, trying to fulfill the Torah, and doing what we can, and even though we're not on the level of Mamleches Kayhanim, not every one of us is a Kayan Gadol, but that Ve'yisem Lisgula, that we're still Hashem's precious nation, that was never taken away. The Pasuk tells us in the Parshish Kisisa, after the Chaito Egel, Ve'yisnatzlu b'nei Yisolus Ediyom Ha'chayrev. By Matan Torah, every single Yid got two special crowns. These weren't physical crowns, these were spiritual crowns, that shows that we were on the level of the Malachim. We were great, and had we kept on that level, then the world, as we said, would have reached its perfection. But the Chet Eagle happened, and we lost that level. They had to take off those crowns. They were lost. And as we said, they're only going to come back. But until that day comes, we still have a mission to keep. And that is to make sure that even though the nations of the world are acting as they do, we call you so. I have to keep our part, as we said, to follow everything that the Rebbeinu Shalom told us. And this was given to us at the greatest revelation that ever happened. The Psukim tells us in Parshish Vayishchanan, also describing Matan Torah. There's an Easter from the Torah. And this is one of the Sheish Zechiris that some people say every single day. We have an obligation every single day of our life to remember that great Maimad of Har Sinai, which was the greatest event in the history of the world. Make sure you never forget it. An obligation that we have to pass it on from generation to generation. What? We stood before Hashem by Har Sinai. There was a, lot, a fire going all the way up to the Shemaim. There was darkness. There was a cloud. There was a thick fog. And then from that great, great event where the entire world was trembling literally from the Rebbeinah Shalaylam appearing, from the fire, the Ebershter talked to us, we saw it, we heard it with our own eyes, and this is the Messiah that we have, that we were told from our own fathers and grandfathers, going all the way back to Kal Yisrael, that the entire nation, three million people, 
men, women, children, young and old, heard the voice of the Rebbeinu Shalolim with their very own ears when the Rebbeinu Shalolim called out, the greatest mime of the greatest event that ever happened. And over there, the Rebbeinu Shalolim chose us to be his nation, and we agreed to do it, and it's binding, and we keep it, Baruch Hashem, until this day, more than 3,000 years later. What is the idea, though, of being an Am Segula, of being Hashem's cherished nation? So we have to understand that when we follow the Torah, as the Rebbeinu Shalolim told us to do, then we are inspiring the world. And even though, as we said, they're not, we no longer have this mission of directly influencing and teaching everybody, but by osmosis, when Kal Yisrael does what they have to do, that creates a ripple effect in the entire world. And the nations of the world are looking at us, whether we believe it or not, whether we feel it or not, they're looking at us to see how we act. And based on that, that's how they react as well. The Mosaic tells us in tale, and we say this every day by davening, The Goyim don't know about the rules of the Torah. But to us, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, He gave it to us. And we have to remind ourselves every single day to keep ourselves inspired and to do our best to keep our part of the promise with the hope that ultimately we're going to reach that level as it was meant to be before the Chayto Ego. And when we do it, as we said, it has an influence and a ripple effect on the entire world. A few weeks ago, there was a soldier killed in Gaza. His name was Gidon Bayer. He was a, uh, a member of a, uh, one of the elite units. It's called Sheldag. An elite unit uh, in the uh, army. And he was buried uh, also, uh, you know, given a uh, military burial. Gidon Bayer, though, is actually a Christian. Not only is he a Christian, his parents are German. Now, how does a German boy end up fighting in Sahel? A very interesting story. There was a pastor who lived uh, through the years of the Holocaust in Germany, and he was against Nazism and everything that it represented. And after the war was over and the horrors of the Holocaust uh, were made public, he felt very, very bad for what his nation did. And it so happened to be that sometime in the 1950s, he met with a survivor, and the survivor said, it's not enough that you feel bad, you have to do something about it. So this fellow, this pastor said, you know what, you're absolutely right. And they brainstormed, and finally they made the decision <coughs> that one thing they can do is help out survivors who are living in Israel. So they raised money, and they traveled to Israel, a whole group of Germans, and they built a, like a convalescent home for survivors, you know, the place where they, they can go and relax, like a hotel, and it's all for free, paid for by German people, private people, and by the German government. It's somewhere up north, and as time went on, so, you know, that pastor, he died, and this particular family, this German family, they became very involved, the Bayer family, and they themselves moved to Israel to help out with this project. Eventually, as the survivors grew older, so they needed a nursing home, so they built for them a special nursing home. Built by Germans, run by Germans, all Gaim. And they're the staff, and everything is free. A nursing home special for survivors. The nursing home is in Naharia, up north. And this fellow, Gidon Beyer, is a member of that family. So he was raised in Israel, and uh, raised as a Christian. But they have a very strong belief 
that even though they're Christians, the Jews are God's people. And it's our job to help them carry out their unique mission in the world. And he says, the father says, uh, you know, we know that we cannot atone for the Holocaust, for what the Germans do. There's nothing we can do. But we cannot change the past, but we could change the future. At least help out those remaining survivors that they should live out their remaining years in peace and tranquility. And that's what they do, and they take it very seriously. And this fellow writes in the interview, after his son was killed, he has two more children who are fighting. And the, uh, the way it works is if Khalila, a family member, is killed, so the siblings are immediately taken out of the war zone. Because you don't want to have Khalila the uh, chance of somebody losing two children. Says this German fellow, Hans Bayer, his name is, his sons refuse to leave Gaza. That's how strong they feel about fighting for the Jewish people. And we see the guy acting in such a way, it reminds us that, yes, they look up to us and they believe in our mission. And that should strengthen us also to believe in our mission. Another beautiful story was on the cover of this uh, last week's Mishpacha magazine, this past November. So in Argentina, South America, so a new president was elected. His name is Javier Milley. A very, very interesting character. Not someone who came from the political class from one of the uh, regular parties. A libertarian, somebody who really came out of nowhere. Libertarian is somebody who really doesn't believe in the government at all. They believe that people should be given the freedom to do what they feel is right, that the market should be fully open, there shouldn't be too much taxes, there shouldn't be any government subsidies, and people should be given the leverage and the leeway to just allow human talent to develop on its own without government regulations. And he took Argentina by storm, and he won the elections. It was a big shock. But this fellow, Javier Milley, is very close with a rabbi. Argentinian rabbi, his name is Rabbi Shimon Wanish, a Sephardi Rav, who has a community there in Argentina. How did they become close? So what happened was, when this fellow, Javier, uh, first became involved with politics, so he wanted to meet the Jewish community, so he asked if he could come speak by this rabbi's community. And the rabbi said, maybe you can come, but first I want to meet with you, you know, just to see what you're all about, and you know, you can't just let anybody come in. Okay, they met, and they hit it off right away, they ended up spending two hours together at that first meeting, and afterwards they became mamish best friends. And this uh, fellow, the current president, became like a Ben Bias by this Rabbi Wanisha's house. He goes there for Shabbos meals, he ate there on Rosh Hashanah, and he became totally connected, not just to the rabbi and his family, but totally connected to the whole idea of Yiddishkeit. So much so, that they say, the thing that connects these two people, these two individuals, the rabbi and the president, is that they both believe with 100% that Hashem runs the world. Very, very strong belief in God. The rabbi spoke at the president's inauguration uh, last month. And he said to him like this, he said, Mr. President, you know, we all know that we're supposed to have faith in God. But I want to tell you about something else. And that is, that just like we, have, we should have faith in God, we should believe that God has faith in us. He believes in us, that he has a mission for us in the world, and that every single person is expected to carry out that mission that God has in mind for him. So he says, Mr. President, you have a mission too in this world, and that is to carry out that which you promised during your campaign, and God believes in you. And they write that when he was saying these words, the 
television uh, crews that were there, they focused on the president's face. He was crying. There were tears coming out of his ears when he heard those words. God has faith in you. And Amir Hashem, in a few months, this fellow, Rabbi Wanish, is going to become Argentina's ambassador to Israel. Fascinating. A from Orthodox rabbi is going to be the, the, uh, the, uh, the ambassador. And the plan is that they're going to move the embassy to Yerushalayim, Amir Hashem, just like President Trump did for America. And he says, you know, it's not a common thing to find a from person, especially not a rabbi, as an ambassador on the world stage. But he believes with full belief, the rabbi, that Hashem wants him to do this, and Hashem is going to give him the tools to do a good job. And as he said, Hashem has faith in you. And if he was put in this position, and he's good friends with the president, obviously it's there for a reason. And what we can take from that beautiful story is that Hashem has faith in us. He gave us this mission of and we should believe in that as well, that we're perfectly capable of carrying out that mission of being Hashem's cherished nation by following the Torah as it's meant to be, living a life of Kiddush Hashem. And then, certainly, that's going to bring closer the day of Mamlechus Koyhanim Kodesh, as we said. Another beautiful story. Some of us go to Orlando for Pesach. I never went, but I know Chaim went uh, once or twice. Yeah. Ari, you go? Ari doesn't go. Okay, but lots of people from the show here go. What's that? He plans on going. <laughs> okay. So there's a development. It's called the Soltera. The Soltera. A lot of people come there and they rent to houses for Pesach. Anyway, there's a fellow from Lakewood, I think. His name is Avrumi Perkowski. And he understood right away, you know, as soon as from people started coming there, that unless someone acts as like a spokesperson for the community... The local residents, those that are renting out their homes, and those that aren't renting out their homes, but they're living side by side with the uh, Jewish people who come for Pesach, it's going to be a bit of a disaster because they don't know what hit them. So he decided to try to develop connections with the locals just to introduce them to the Jewish way of life. Anyway, one year, the, uh, the head of the uh, Homeowners Association is a Jewish lady, not, not affiliated. Her name is Melissa. Not a from lady. And she meets up with his fellow Avrumi before Pesach and she says, you know, we like the business that you fellows bring, but we have two things that everyone complains about. One is the slaughtering of the lambs. And the other one is that people walk through the private yards. So he says to her, what do you mean slaughtering of the lambs? Nobody here slaughters any lambs. So she says, yeah, there's blood. There's always blood after Pesach on the carpets. In the houses. So the fellow says, no, no, Melissa, nobody here slaughters a lamb. What you're seeing is the left is the drops of the wine that we drink by the Seder. Okay, so, you know, at least they heard that there was no slaughtering going on inside the homes. And then she says, when they told her they were complaining, the other homeowners, that people are going through their backyards. So she said, yeah, you know why? Because Jews have a rule that they have to inhabit the land. So when they walk through their backyard... That's their way of showing that they own the land. So he says, no, there's no such thing. We don't own the land. It's not ours. We walk through the backyards because we're not allowed to drive on Shabbos and Yom Tov. And to get to Shul, you know, it's far away. So we try to cut a shortcut. So now the lady understands. And she went and she explained it to her fellow homeowners. And they understood. And she was instrumental in this particular development in building a uh, Erev there, first of all. 
and also allowing people to go through the backyards without people complaining. And also they build a beautiful tent where they're able to have minyanim. So, you know, with a little bit of um, just nice talk and explanation and, and public relations, you know, we can make the outside world understand what we're doing and bring about Kedosh Hashem instead of Chil Hashem. And that too is also certainly part of our mission in this world, you know, to live our life, to do everything that we have to do, but to make sure, to realize that not everybody around us understands what we're doing, and if we explain it to them in a nice way, then certainly they're going to understand it, and then they're going to appreciate it, as we see in this story. There's a fellow, his name is Rabbi Shrager Friedman, he founded an organization called the Living Kiddush Hashem Foundation, and it's all about promoting Kiddush Hashem. Reminding ourselves, reminding Kali Yisrael of who we are, and what our mission is in this world, you know, because it's very easy to get lost in the nitty-gritty of life, you know, we're so, uh, you know, we're so in a rush, let's say, to get, to go to shul, catch minion, which is a beautiful thing. But sometimes we forget that that does not justify, let's say, cutting someone else off, or running a red light, you know, or speeding, just because we want to go to shul, and make it for a minion. We have to have the proper balance, and that's what Kiddush Hashem is all about. Just because we want to be on time for Shabbos, doesn't mean that we can cut the line in the store, or that we could push people or the like. You know, we have to do our part, but everything has to be done. Everything has to be done in a way where it's uh, not only doing what's right in the eyes of the Rebbeinah Shalaylam, but also living this and embodying this idea of of making a Kiddush Hashem and everything that we do. And the more we do that, the more certainly we're being Makar of the Geula by carrying out our mission in the proper way, in the way it's supposed to be. So, Taka Debeshti should help. And this Shabbos, as we said, okay. the Shabbos where the uh, the Kriya is Me'ayra. Me'ayra is to connect to Kabbalah Satayra. One second. So, let's talk, remember our mission in this world, which is we hope for the day that the entire world is going to come and learn from us how to be Mekadeshim Shemayim. But until that day happens, we should strengthen ourselves in our our commitment of Nasev and Ishma, of Atem Tiyuli, Yam Segula, Mikol Amim. As the Rav says, right? Yisai the Chassidus V'Sherosh HaVoidah. She is Barbi, Yisam, Yisai Tzal Adam. Machai Vosah Be'ilama, and the more we do it, Taka, the more we are going to get closer to that day, where once again, we're going to be in Malachas Kainim, I just want to conclude with one more beautiful story, also told over, by this Kiddush Hashem Foundation. There's a fellow in Lakewood, his name is Moishi Feder. He's a salesperson for a company that installs closets. And in his role, he travels all across America, uh, signing contracts and supervising projects and the like. Anyway, he's sitting in the airport in Newark one day, about to travel to a different state, when the uh, airline announces, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us a World War II veteran. He's 96 years old. And he's going to be on our flight, sitting in row 15. And he would appreciate if people come over to him, once we board the flight, to thank him for his service for the country. <coughs> now this fellow, being that he's a frequent flyer, he's flying first class. So he says, he heard the message, he knew exactly what to do. He goes over to the stewardess and he says, I want to switch seats with this fellow. Let him sit in first class, and I'll sit in the economy as befitting someone who served this country so well during World War II. Well, they're very impressed. The lady makes an announcement. This passenger standing next to me is giving up his first class seat to allow the veteran to sit there instead. Everybody claps. Okay, 
they get on the plane and they show him, they, they, he goes over to the veteran and the veteran's very, very happy. He says, thank you so much for giving me your seat. They take off, they land. Okay, now as it is, of course, first class always disembarks first because they're first class. Now being that he's sitting in economy, so it's taking him a little bit longer to get off the plane. Finally, he gets off the plane with everybody else and he goes to the car rental place to get his car. He's waiting for his car and in walks a fellow now, he's wearing the logo on his uh, jacket, the logo of his company, <coughs> which is called Modular Closet. A man walks over to him. He says, excuse me, does your company install closets in uh, apartment buildings? And they said, yeah, actually, that's exactly what we do. So he says, look, I'm the manager for this uh, big company, and... You know, we, we would like maybe to do business with you. Let's talk. Make a long story short, they got a contract with this company. And Mr. Fader concludes, he said, for years, our company was trying to make business with them. This only happened because I came late to the car rental. And so I was able to meet with him because he just came in. And that only happened because I decided to make the Kiddush Hashem and give it my first class seat for a World War II veteran. You never lose from doing the right thing. Taka, we should be Zoycha. To live and see the day.